0: Father, we love you. We believe in you. I pray that you would reveal yourself this morning. God, that you'd give me the words to speak that is truth and not a lie, that I would say no false. Your presence would be made known. Father, show us your glory this morning. Show us your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. LifeWay Research conducted a poll to find out what evangelicals believe in the year 2022. Among the polled, they had to agree to these statements. The Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. It is very important for me to personally encourage non-Christians to trust in Jesus as their Savior. Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of our sin. Only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. We hear those statements and we think, that's good. That's good theology. That's right. That's correct doctrine. The belief system that those that were polled was correct. They agreed to these statements that I'm pretty sure most of us in this room would say, yes, that's right. But then when they went into what what they actually believed, though they affirmed these specific doctrinal beliefs, when it came down to what they actually believed in the way that they live, here's how it turned out. 58% believe that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 55% believe the Holy Spirit is a force, but is not a personal being. Fifty-five percent sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Fifty-three percent disagree with the claim that even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. And fifty-four percent say that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. See, there's some kind of disconnect that when translating, I believe that the Bible is the highest authority. Yes, I believe that we should encourage non-Christians to be Christians. I even believe that the only way to, to have eternal life is to have Jesus as my Savior. Somehow, in translating that to actual beliefs, there was a disconnect. And every one of these beliefs, I'm pretty sure most of us would say, that's bad theology. That's wrong doctrine. They had this first section that was correct and then a misinterpretation that ended up being false theology. Theology is the study of God or in the biblical context, it's to seek to understand the God revealed in the Bible. And so every theological statement we make, it's not just saying, I believe this particular aspect of Christianity. It's not saying that you're actually making a statement about who God is. Every valve that translates into our normal life, it's making a belief system about who God is. It's reflecting on who the nature, what the nature of God is. So let's just look at these for a moment. I believe that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, or Islam. What could that be saying about God? God cares more about sincerity than he does truth. Or perhaps maybe Jesus' sacrifice on the cross wasn't so special after all. If all religions can be accepted, then why should Jesus have to die for us? Diminishing who Jesus was, the significance of his death. 55% the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal, personal being. What's that saying about God? He's left us alone here. When Jesus went away, he didn't send a personal being to be with us and to guide us in all truth he's not involved in our daily lives 55 percent agree that everyone sins a little but most people are good by nature what does that say about god god's holiness is diminished maybe the wages of sin are not death after all That one little sin, you immediately fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God being perfection. So much higher than all of us humans. And one little sin puts us short under that glory. And the wages of sin is death. What's that saying? That maybe God's word isn't perfect after all. So that they agreed to these stipulations when it came out to their actual actual lives. There was a disconnect. And what I want you to understand is your belief systems are reflecting on God. They're not just something that you believe. You are saying something about God. Okay, when I feel like I my self-worth is low, that I'm not valuable, what am I saying? I, who am it, created in the image of God. And when God created man, he said, this is very good. And then I look at myself and I say, I'm not valuable. That's reflecting on God. That God would create something and say, you're not valuable. You're not you, I, You're not very good the way I created you to be. Or I say, I am not able to be used by God. See, my feelings, it tells me this. I can't be used by God. That's a theological statement. It's not just a belief system that I feel. It's saying, maybe God is not powerful enough. That in my weakness he could use me. Moses said the same thing. And God said to Moses, I am the creator of the mouth and I will give you the words to say. So when I say I can't be used by God, God either doesn't love me enough to give me what I need or God is empowered to meet my weakness. If you in this room, you feel those same feelings. Maybe you feel... Like you're not useful to God. Maybe you feel like you're not valuable. What I want to propose to you is that's a theological statement. You're not just engaging in a belief, saying something about God that needs to be corrected one of the things that I am most passionate about is seeing people's view of God change from false theology to good theology, to realize that God is not a mean God out there that's out to get you, but he's actually good. His nature is good. He loves you. He desires to be in close relationship with you. You can turn to Exodus 32, and we're going to look at a story. This is going to kind of set up where we're going. But uh, this is a story of a people group who did not fully grasp who God was. They had some good theology, but because they didn't fully grasp who to grave sin. And just to give you as a a backup of of this story, we're in Exodus, and the Exodus is about how God took his people and led them out of bondage. This story in the Old Testament is one of the greatest examples, one of the greatest foreshadowing, foretelling of the gospel of Christ, how there is a people under bondage, enslaved under Pharaoh, and Moses comes with the word of the Lord to say, let my people go, in the same way that you were under the bondage of sin, under the slavery to sin, headed toward death. And Jesus came and said, let my people go. And Moses comes and does the same thing. And then through this series of plagues on Egypt, he begins to judge the gods of Egypt. And before the 10th plague, the Lord literally says, with this plague, I will judge the gods of Egypt. When Jesus went to the cross, he said, the ruler of this world is judged. And then before this 10th plague, we call it a Passover, Where a lamb was slain, and over the doorposts of the Israelites, they would spread the blood of the lamb. And when the angel of death passed through Egypt, wherever he saw the blood of the lamb, he passed over, and they did not receive judgment. A foretelling and a foreshadowing of you receiving the blood of Jesus Christ on your life, and a passing over, the death passing over you. And then they leave Egypt as Jesus led us out of bondage. These people are led out of Egypt. And then they cross the Red Sea. And the Red for the Sea of Reeds, it's an example of baptism, being baptized into a new covenant. And they pass through the Red Sea and on the where a new covenant is formed. A new covenant. And for us, it's a new covenant of Jesus' blood, death, and resurrection. And then Moses gives these people the Ten Commandments. And these people say, yes, all these things that the Lord said we will do. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not create a graven image. They agreed to these things. And then Moses goes onto the mountain to establish the covenant for 40 days and 40 nights in the glory of God. And this is what takes place. Exodus chapter 32 starting verse 1 when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain The people gathered together themselves to Aaron and said to him up make us gods who shall go before us As for this Moses the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt We do not know what has become of him So Aaron said to them take off the rings of gold That are in your ears of your your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me so all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it calf. And they said, "These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up of the land of Egypt." When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, "Tomorrow shall be a feast day to the Lord." And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and offered and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf, and have worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And behold, it, it, uh, the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may great, make a great nation out of you. But Moses implore, implored the Lord his God and said, O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against Who have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, With evil intent did he bring them out to kill them? mountain, and to consume them with the face of the earth. ...out of the land of Egypt, with great... ...and say, with evil intent did he bring... ...and consume them from the face of the earth. burning anger, and relent from this... ...remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, whom you... Supply your offspring and the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit forever. And the Lord relented that he had spoken. Uh, I listened to two different rabbis uh, explain this story, and I, it was kind of fascinating the different ways that they interpret this. Because it's, the question is, how could they do something like this? They just agreed not to have any other gods before them, and they just agreed to not build any graven image. And Moses goes to the Lord, and they've already seen the Lord described as consuming fire on this mountain. And from nowhere, here they're building these gods. And here's what said the exact same thing. They said, first, Israel wasn't purposing to build gods. They were purposing to build a leader. Because they said, "Moses, well, Let's build these gods to go before us. So, first of all, they say that. And also, they say, they take Aaron's word for it. Moses comes down the mountain. Aaron says, I threw the gold into the fire, and this calf popped out. And they take Aaron's word for it. They say, yeah, that's what happened. And one of the reasons they say it is because Aaron says, Tomorrow is a feast day to Yahweh. They build these gods, and then Aaron says, we're going to have a feast to Yahweh. There's a disc somehow. They're building these images of these golden calves, and they say, we're going to worship Yahweh tomorrow. It's kind of interesting. Uh, Both the Canaanites and the Egyptians worshipped bulls. It was about, in 2018, the oldest mummy ever discovered in Egypt, uh, were with a tattoo. It was the oldest mummy that ever was discovered with a tattoo. And it had a tattoo of a bull on its shoulder. And the bull resembled or represented power. Well, what did God just display in Egypt? Great, tremendous power. Judging all the gods of Egypt. There's also hieroglyphics found with... Egyptians with their hands up like this and a bowl over their hands and archaeologists say that this depicting bowl worship in Egypt and so whether their meaning to initial worship gods, whether this was supposed to just be a leader or whether it was actually from the beginning let's go what they're doing is they're adopting Egyptian symbol- symbolism to reflect who Yahweh was Yes, they said, "Let's worship Yahweh," but it quickly trans—it it became a worship of golden calf. Why? Because they talked to God of power and might, but they didn't know God to His fullest. It had a little picture of God as a God who is able to judge all other gods, and I know what resembles power. Our culture says power of resemble it is in. T- of bowls. Let's do this. Let's create these bowls that will resemble power and worship God who is a God of power. It's a little picture, a little bit of theology, a little reflection of who God is, but led them, in, led them into grave sin. Well, What does, what could this look like for us? God sinned very seriously. And so instead, looking all aspects of God, instead of looking at the cross of Christ, we say, I know I'm a sinner, God hates sin, judgment is on me, and I'm going escape. It's taking a little bit of truth. It's taking a little bit of theology, and then you just feel condemned with it. Or you, you recognize your own weakness, the glory of man, is a flower of the grass. It withers away. And, we and we're like, yeah, that, that's right. That's good theology. But dust, I can't be used by God because I'm just dust. It's taking a little aspect of truth and not bringing it into the fuller picture, not creating, bringing everything in. And therefore, it leads to false theology. And Israel fell into false theology because they had a little picture of who God was, but they weren't committed to the whole. Of who God is. And here's the Lord's response. A plague comes on Israel. Kills some of them. And then he says this to Moses in Exodus 33. The Lord said to Moses, Depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt. To the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will get it.' give it before you. And I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go among you, lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. I just want to make a few observations of this. God said he was going to give Israel everything he promised them. Think about where they are right now. They're in the desert. They're suffering. They don't have homes. They have tents. They don't have good food. They don't have they don't have all the necessities that you and I have and share. In this moment, Israel is in the desert, and God comes to them and says, This land flowing with milk and honey, I'm going to give you everything you wanted. And Israel's response was to mourn. I wonder how many Americans, if the Lord appeared to them in a dream dream and said, I'm going to give you everything you wanted. I'm going to make your life prosperous. I'm going to fill you with blessings. I'm going to give you everything you wanted and blessing upon blessing, give you a land flowing with money, a beautiful property. Well, I'm not going to go with you. I'm just going to send an angel with you. I feel like a lot of people would be like, yes, an angel is going to come and bless me. There's this thing in American Christianity, angels, you know. Let's, Let's study angels and let's figure all this stuff out with angels in the spiritual realm and gets into the new age. But Israel wasn't satisfied with this. They mourned because they knew they were missing something very important. And that was closeness, closeness in relationship with this God. Seeing his power, they had would... say, God is saying, I'm not going to go with you. No. Okay. And now God is saying, I'm not going to go with you. What I want to take the first aspect of this story is something you should replicate. But take the second part. If you've found yourself in sin, if you've found yourself into idolatry, I want you to mourn for it. I want you to recognize that you need the presence of God on your life. Not just for the blessings of God. Not just for the prosperity gospel. Not just to have everything you wanted. God being a slot machine that you serve Him so you get your stuff that you want. But you serve God for His presence. You love God for Himself being in your life. Remember, Moses is a foreshadow of Jesus. Moses is a, a, a intercessor for Israel. And just like Moses, Jesus is now our intercessor. When we sin and fall short of the glory of God, we have an intercessor, Jesus Christ the righteous, bearing our guilt and reconciling us to God. So here's Moses coming to the Lord after this. And he says this, Moses said to the Lord, see, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send me. Yet you have said, I know also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my press will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence does will not go with me, Do not bring us up from here. you recognize the significance of this? If you are going to give us everything we want, if you're going to give us blessing and prosperity, everything our hearts long for, even sending an angel with us, but you won't go with us yourself, then keep us here in the desert. If you will give us everything you want except yourself, then let us remain in a place of suffering. This heart is what the church needs. For how shall it be known that I am in favor of your, in your sight? I and your people. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from other every other people on the face of the lo- earth. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said this, please, show me your glory. As a picture of God, of power and might, but if they're going to enter into the promised land, if they're going to go into a greater realm of the purposes that God has for them, they must know God to a greater level. They must know God more than just a power, a God of power, but they know, must know Him personally. A God whose His presence is with them. So what is glory? What is Moses actually asking to do? Uh, it's kind of interesting. The uh, Septuagint translates this word for glory as siuto. Which means yourself. In other words, it translates it saying, show me the real you. We've seen your power. We've seen this consuming fire on the mountain. But we have to see real you. Who are you? And the Lord responds that no. And this, this goes into the, the word glory. It's the, word, it's the Greek word, uh, sorry, the Hebrew word kavod. And the word kavod refers to weight. and Which indicates that weight uh, is something that shows something's value. So in the old times, they used to weigh out an allotment of money to pay for something. And Moses is asking, show me your weight so that I know as we go into this promised land, I know who's going before us. And one of the specific things that God's glory is is visible. And that's why he says, nobody can see my face and live. So let's go into just, uh, I know it's 12 o'clock already, so um, let's go into just some of these ways that God reveals himself as weighty. First of all, Zondervan's study Bible uh, gives his... The interpretation of weight as the grandeur and majesty of God. He says this, there is little appreciation or understanding of the sacred otherness of God. We have too often reduced him to only friend and advisor. We do so at our own peril for it is that sacred otherness that brings us to our knees. That is where the relationship needs to begin. One of the aspects of the glory of God is revealed in visible form. That when John saw the glory of Jesus Christ, he immediately fell down his face. Ezekiel saw the glory of God appeared before him. He fell down as a dead man. When Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord... And this shout, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The holiness of God is the only attribute of God that is repeated three times. It emphasizes it. God is different from everybody else. He's sacred. He's other than. He's not like you. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And and Isaiah's response was, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. The holiness of God in His glory made visible before us convicts us of our sin because it shows us we have fallen short of that. And in the same way, Moses would not be able to see God's face and live because one of the aspects of glory is visible form that would actually kill you if you encountered it. That's one way God's glory is revealed to us. Another way God's glory is revealed to us is uh, these notes all mixed up, I'm afraid. I knew I made a mistake having this many notes. <laughs> I have only a page or a page and a half. And this time I have like six or seven pages. So, uh... Yeah, I don't know where this is. But uh, I'll just go from here. The, the, uh, in Psalms it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So even when you go out into creation and you see the way creation was made or you see the way the body functions, there's something about the intricacy of this that is wild to us and reveals the weight of God. Uh, I remember uh, Roger Penrose, he estimated that the likelihood of earth functioning the way it does from chance was something like 10, it's written down somewhere in my notes, 10 to the hundredth to the tenth power something wild like that. And and as an example of that, if you would take every atom in the universe and and all every atom, everything is made out of atoms, and if you would split it apart and take every atom and take a red marker and put a dot on one of those atoms, throw it back into the world and have one person come and pick out a dot, pick out an atom, the, there's more likely you would pick out the right atom with the red dot on it, than there is that the world would have just formed out of nothing. And so you see that and you say, wow, <laughs> this displays the weight of God, that he was able to create a world functioning with so many intricacies. I remember Daniel Troyer preaching a while ago about the human body and how it functions, and you hear all the intricate things that happen in the body to make it do the things that it needs to do, and it's like, okay, this is so intelligent To be able to create a body that functions so intricately, it reveals his weight. But, God didn't tell any of this to Moses. He didn't say, I am a God who creates a a earth that functions in a crazy manner that you can't even understand. The Lord told Moses something else. He said, I am going to make my goodness pass before you because primarily you and I don't experience God's glory with dreams and visions that make us fall fall down instead, man. Maybe some of you have, but primarily we don't experience the glory of God manifested to us in visual form. Instead, God says to Moses that his goodness is what he's going to reveal to him, because if he saw the glory in appearance, it was going to kill him. And so instead, it's his goodness that comes before us. And then he says this. I'm just going to, it's getting late, so (laughs) halfway through. So I'm just going to end it on a cliffhanger. And we're going to have to do a, a two-parter on this one. He first of all says, Moses asks his glory. You can't see his glory; otherwise, you're going to die. Instead, he tells Moses that he's going to let his have his goodness pass before you, and he's going to proclaim the name of Yahweh. What was Israel's problem? They did not know who God was. They had a picture of who God was, a God of power. And now in, for, in, in word form, God is going to reveal himself to a greater level. Who is Yahweh? Who is this God? And this comes in Exodus chapter 34. The Lord descended in a cloud And stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. You want to know what the name of the Lord is? Here it is. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving transgression and iniquity and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the fourth, third, and fourth generation. That is the name of the Lord. And when Jesus went to the cross, he said these words, Father, glorify yourself. There is no other place that you're going to find more glory of the Lord than in the cross. You'll have to wait for me to divulge what all these attributes of God air till later.